we are going to do our own Bible study here in the auditorium. And so to get started this evening, I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Titus, if you'd like. If you have that in hand, we're going to continue in a series that we've been doing on Sunday mornings. It's a series that we've been talking about getting a grip on a number of things, such as we've talked about emotions of anger, we've talked about jealousy, we've talked about family relationships. And what we wanted to deal with, we started last Sunday morning, was dealing with some of the family relationships. And the one that we were picking on is husbands and wives. And there's all kinds jokes out there about husbands and wife. Like this older couple, she's thinking, I heard when you live with a man a long time, you can get to know even what they're thinking. She's thinking that. His thinking is, no, you're not, not true. You can't understand what I'm doing. You know, then you have these other jokes about, I'm, I'm not talking to you. Okay, you want to know why? No, I trust your decision. I think that guy is like a lot of us. We don't want to get into why are you mad at me? And so we talk about these things, we joke about them, but it's not funny when it's you. It's not funny when all of a sudden you've got the conflict in your marriage. You've got the challenge. You've got the division. You've got the living together, and you're there in the same house, but you're not on the same page at all. You're two different planets that are just revolving in this universe of life, and you're spinning, and you're busy, and life is going on, but you aren't building a closeness and a unity and a support system between you. It's just like we're enduring We're existing together. We're not enjoying this relationship. That's not what we want for you. That's not what God wants for you. The Word of God gives us very clear that the Lord will build the house. In fact, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. The idea is God wants to help build your marriage. And we've been talking about the how do you do that. We've just saying, okay, the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure the Lord is a welcome partner in your personal life so that you are responding in a graciousness, in a Christ-likeness, so that you are learning and saying, God, what about me? Where do I need to change? And being sensitive that way. And when it's really hard to be loving and forgiving through the power of Christ in you, you're able to forgive. So you need to make sure, one, that the Lord is a welcome partner. Then what we've been talking about, the practical areas, even beyond that, is God has rules for marriage. There's a number of them. We are at rule number nine that we've been talking about, and that is making sure you do your role, what God has assigned you. This morning we talked about what did God assign kids. Kids of all ages, we talked about the two aspects of kids who are minors, about obedience, but all of us, whatever age, respect for parents. Well, I want to return to where we were last Sunday morning. We talked last Sunday morning to husbands and wives. I want to do it again. I want to continue what we were talking about here a week ago. And a week ago when we were talking about it, we said men, according to scriptures, and we went to several passages, that it says that according to scriptures, you're to lead your wife. As well as Christ leads the church and the church is submissive to Christ, so we're supposed to have that relationship between my wife and I that I'm providing leadership, but I'm told in Scripture three times in the same text of Ephesians 5, love your wife, love your wife, as Christ loved the church. Love your wife, love your wife. And in that same text, it says, ladies... Submit yourself. I know that that's a terrible word in modern language. It it, it has a totally different connotation than what many people put to it. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But following and respecting the husband. Let me pick up from there. And since last week we did the husbands first, let's do the ladies first of all. We had that idea that we ended up with loving leadership, respectful submission. Now in the book of Titus, God gives another assignment. He says, ladies, I want you to work on loving your husband. In Titus chapter 2, it is a passage that he is writing and he's saying to the, Titus, the, the pastor of this church, he says, I want you to teach people 
in your church. And what you need to teach them is you teach the older men at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, teach the older men to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith. Teach the older women that they become in behavior as become a holiness, not a false accusers, teachers of good things. And teach them, verse 4, that they would teach the younger woman to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. It's the only time in Scripture that we have where it's stated, teach ladies how to love their kids. And it's the only time in Scripture that it says, teach ladies how to love their husbands. Two different words are used in that same passage in the original language. And the, what I want to get, catch is, this is for all the wives, that the older wives are to teach the younger women. They can't teach unless they're doing it themselves. They're supposed to teach them, and that idea is that it's not just an emotional feeling that springs up in your heart that you can't help, and it's just you're smitten. That's not the idea of this word at all. But he's talking about something about getting along with your husband. Talking literally, the word that he uses is the idea of phileo, you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly, yeah. Okay, Philadelphia, the name comes from this idea of phileo. Phileo has the idea of being best friends. Liking the person. You can, you can love somebody but not like them. Yes, no? You ever have that experience? I love my kid but I don't like him right now because of the behavior. I love my brother and sister, but I don't like them because of some conflicts. This passage says, teach the ladies that they develop a real likeness for the husbands. Not just a physical attraction, not just the idea of, a, of an emotional love, but that they really want to get along with them. A friendship. And so you start saying, okay, how do we develop friendships? How do we end up delighting in one another? Friends, they think positively of each other. Friends, they enjoy being with that person. Friends, they learn to accept things about them. How do the ladies develop that attitude towards their husbands? And, there's, and, and the reason that it, it's so important is because usually what, what is an, a common story, a common joke about ladies, they're trying to change their husbands. You know, that probably comes from some reality. And he's saying, don't, don't come into the relationship saying, I'm going to change him. When, he, when I get him set a certain way. No, no. Learn to like your husband. Learn to be able to accept them as you do your friends. And so some practical suggestions on how to carry this out. It would be, okay, let's look at the book of Proverbs where he talks about friendships. To develop friendships, you've got to be honest. You've got to be open where he talks about the friends, the faithful are the wounds of a friend who speaks with honesty but with compassion. That's a development of friendships, keeping their trust. Here's an idea of developing friendship. You stay loyal. Stand by his side even when things aren't going as great or even when some of the decisions made aren't the best in the world. Developing friendship is the idea of being a willing listener. None of us like to be with a friend who is always telling us what to do or where we're wrong or who is always interrupting or even the practical sense that they have all the answers. The same thing in a marriage. You want to be close to somebody who isn't always correcting you, who isn't always having to have, having to have the last word. And so the idea is saying, hey, a friend is one who comes, and even they don't, have to, they don't have to speak before hearing everything. Develop this friendship idea that means sometimes I don't say what I'm thinking. It's not always wise. Friendship in scriptures, you're going to be supportive. 
You're going to be pro than that individual. Friendship in Scripture is learning that greater love is to lay down, to sacrifice for that person, not just about me. Friendship in Scripture is not being disagreeable. You don't hang around people that are that way. You might have a relative that you can't get away from who's that way, so you kind of put a little bit of distance. But friendships, you say, hey, listen, I want to be around somebody who we have common interests, where we can laugh together, where we can enjoy life. And so to develop that friendship, what I want to do is from that aspect, and what I counsel the ladies to do is develop some common interests. My wife does not, li- does not have a favorite football team, okay, which, well, by, by, by not her choice, everything in the house happens to be not the team that won the Super Bowl, Okay. It happens to be one of those teams that didn't even make it that far. But she never really cared about football, but she endures it. She even asks questions once in a while while we're watching it, just to have that same interest, which I find extremely commendable. That the verbal gratitude, gratefulness that you have when you're spending time together, you know, this, this is a killer... I, I'm just amazed how many times go into restaurants and there's no communication happening. They're both sitting there and what's, what's occupying them? The phone. You know, and then the, kind of the reality, just a couple of weeks ago, my one son living in Jersey, um, they, had, they had a small smattering of snow come down. They had an inch of snow in New Jersey right off the shore there in Cape May. And their son, who is five years old, came running and he says, Oh, no! It's going to be a snowstorm and we won't have any internet. I won't be able to watch my iPad. And I'm thinking, boy, they start them young. Okay. But we aren't any better as adults. In our communication sometimes, just, hey, you know, just enjoying, showing that you're supportive and spending time doing those projects. You know, the projects that when you start, they always take longer, they cost more, they're more involved but just being supportive of it, the idea of praying for him, the idea of instead of, ladies, instead of saying, I have a Bible question, I'm going to ask at my Bible study what the answer is. Do what 1 Corinthians 11 tells you to do. Ask your husband first. Just show that support. Be a friend to him. But that's not the only thing. Scriptures talks about the idea of ladies, make yourself attractive to your husband. Now, there's, the question has to be, what kind of attractiveness are we talking about? What does scriptures talk about? Does it talk about how I should dress? Actually, it does. What does scriptures tell me is, according to Proverbs, you don't want to be one of these types of ladies. They are the ones that men don't want to be around. This one, for instance, an excellent wife has a crown to her husband, but she who shames him is rottenness to his bones. It is better to live in a desert than in a house shared with a crabby woman. He says it a little bit different. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than a house shared with somebody who is quarrelsome, cranky. We read in scriptures a constant dripping on a day of a steady rain, and a cranky woman are very similar. He goes on and he says, To restrain her is like trying to restrain the wind and grabbing oil with your right hand. An impossibility. His point is, this isn't what you ladies want to be like. Neither should the men. But pointedly, he says, ladies, a wise woman builds her house, but the fool tears it down with her own hands, usually by her words. And so you say, okay, how do I make myself attractive to my spouse? What do I do in that regard? Well, don't nag. 
take the, the scriptures to warn that says you don't have to have the last word. You don't put them down. Don't name call. You don't, don't do this. I should have listened to my mother. I married so-and-so. Don't be one who wants to you know, embarrass. Put them down. Don't unload him. As soon as he walks in the door, great, let's, let's you know, have a place of peace. Walk in the door, and the first thing you do is unload everything on him. It's not going to help. It's not going to build. The, the men, just like you ladies, they, they don't want to have somebody interrupting them and, you know, in the sense of correcting them in a conversation. Don't butt in. Listen. Don't be a whiner, a complainer. Instead, in 1 Peter 3, and if you turn there, this is what we want to focus even for the men in the next few minutes. In 1 Peter 3, he's talking to husbands and wives once again. And he says in 1 Peter 3, Likewise, you wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if they don't obey the word, they also may, without the word, be won by your lifestyle, by the conversation of your life. While they behold your chaste conversation or lifestyle, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning or the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of your heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old times, the holy woman also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves in this type of manner, being in subjection to their own husbands. What's he mean by this? What's he mean by this type of an attitude, type of a spirit, type of a presentation? that you make in your home. He's telling us a reality here that inner beauty in God's sight is even greater than external beauty. doesn't mean we don't worry about external looks. We should. But he's saying, really, instead of focusing on the external and wowing him with your body, wow him with your personality, with your inner beauty, which God says is of great beauty. And we know this is true. You know this is true. You know, and I'm going to be very candid and forthright, okay, because we're the, we don't have the young people. You know how this is when you were in high school? There were certain girls that a lot of the guys were attracted to, not for the right reasons, that they wouldn't mind having a date with her, but that wasn't going to be the lifelong, they would never choose that person for a lifelong partner. And that's what he's talking about in this text. He says you, you want to make sure that you ladies, you're focusing on what is that which is most beautiful to a man to trust in you, to a man who wants to share with you his struggles, his battles. He says what kind of thing? God is encouraging you to look at the inside and say, hey, what you need to do is, yes, the outside, we'll talk about it in a minute. The outside appearance is important to God. But the inner appearance, that inner beauty that God says you want to work at, is one, a willing following of your husband. A willing support of your husband. A willingness, and the scriptures, when it talks about submit, it does not mean that idea that you're dominated and you're put down. Not at all. But it's the idea that I respect you. I'm going to follow you as you help make. We work together, but if somebody has to have the final say, you're, we're going to follow you in the leadership of this home. The sincere holiness, the chaste conversation, as Peter wrote those words, a pureness in your speech, a speech that is respectful of others, a speech that is gracious, a speech that is, that is kind even to the kids. He's talking in the passage of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
not a harpy, not one of the sirens from mythological you know, stories that were you know, screeching and, and you know, the loudness and the yelling and the demanding. He says, but rather respectful speech. And he uses the illustration that Abraham was called Lord by Sarah. We joked about it last week. Does this mean you should go home and start saying Master, Lord? No. But she was using terms in her culture in the Old Testament, calling him Lord. That was in their culture an appropriate, respectful way of speaking to and, and about her husband in a very proper manner. And you've seen that. You've seen movies that we go back another few generations that they would even speak in the Middle Ages. They would, they would speak to the husbands, Lord, sir. That was appropriate. That wasn't the domination type idea. It was just a respectful speech, whatever that may be in your family and in your home. That is, that is respectful from his perspective and yours. And so he's telling us, ladies, living these traits does not mean you're his doormat. Don't, don't, don't adopt that. And definitely, we've already talked to the guys about this last week. Don't you dare even get close to that. That is, that is the idea of doing whatever he wants, even if it's sin. That's not what we're saying. By biblical submission. Biblical submission is the idea of not displaying a weakness, but displaying great strength. He says in this text to the ladies who are, he's saying, you have to be willing to follow your husbands with a supportive attitude. And he says, do this without fear. That means you've got to be a very strong person. God recognizes, ladies, that's a, that's a tremendously hard position at times. And he's saying it takes a woman of great strength to do this. That you are doing this without fearing of what happens if he, what about if, it, if this, you're just saying, God, I'm going to do what you say, and I'm going to trust you. Do it with this idea of not giving to fear. But not only are we talking about the attractiveness in personality, but attractiveness in appearance is part of the Bible. The Bible does talk about how, and it talks more to the ladies than the men, about how we dress. And that's an obvious reason why. I mean, I don't have to explain that one, but ladies, you have to be more careful that he says to the guys about modest attire. We all understand why that's a possibility. And so he's saying, when he says in this passage, he's saying, um, who's adorning, let it not be the outward plating of the hair. He says, let it not be the wearing of the gold. Now, some people in some churches have stretched this passage to say, therefore, the Bible is saying it is wrong ever to do a hairdo. The plating of the hair, the building up of the hairdo. Or the putting on of jewelry. And there's people that have taken that from this text and says, if you wear any jewelry whatsoever... I remember years ago when we first came into this community, this church we walked into, if you have wire rim glasses, you were sinning against God, was the statement. If you have a ring, one, one guy in the community that uh, one of our families we ministered, their pastor told them, you have to give me all of your rings. I'll take care of getting rid of them for you. It's like, really? Really? Is that what this text says? Is this text really saying it's wrong to ever do a hairdo? It's wrong to ever wear gold. If that's what this verse says, then read the rest of it. It's wrong to put on apparel. You know that's not what it says. Okay, He's talking about the extravagance of the hairdo, the extravagance of the jewelry, the extravagance of putting on different apparel. 
And he's saying that don't make that your focus. And yet at the same time, does the scripture say, ladies, be careful about what you wear. And make sure that in your appearance, your, your, I'm going to use the word scripture does. You're giving honor to your husband. Yeah, it does. In fact, let me show you a couple different passages. In 1 Corinthians 11, this is the passage that most of you are familiar with, where it's the communion text. But right before it, he's in a conversation that what he's talking about is ladies wearing veils. And there's, a, there's still modern discussion, what did he mean by the veil? I understand the, the passage this way, that in Bible days, and especially in the area of Corinth, in Greek society, the ladies would, uh, it, uh, yeah, let me usually the outfits that the men and ladies wore, they were very similar. They were the toga type outfits. The ladies could distinguish by some of the markings and even some of the hemming that could be done and the embroidering they could do. Or the other thing that really extinguished or distinguished them, ladies wore veils. Even in the Middle East today, is that, do you see that in culture where they're wearing some type of veil? Yes, in some of those ancient oriented cultures. Well, in the ancient culture of this time, you wore a veil. However, there were certain groups in Corinth that did not wear a veil. And it was their way of identifying who they were. The groups that were the prostitutes, they wouldn't wear veils. The groups who were shamed because they were a woman who didn't take care of her children, they would get their their veils taken away, and usually their heads were shorn. And so as a result, you would identify in public. If you're in public, you'd say, oh, that lady is not wearing a veil covering of some sort she's either been an unfaithful wife, a bad mother, or she's selling herself. Well, the Christians in Corinth, the ladies were coming along, and they were saying, we're equal in Christ, which is true. Who did Christ die for? All of us. We're equal in in value and in worth between us and Christ, uh, between men and women. And so the ladies in the church were saying, well, if we're equal then we don't have to live and dress the way that it's happening in our society. We're going to show our equal rights from Christianity. And one of the first things they did is they took off the veil. And they're going out in public and with this idea, we're equal. But what it was saying to the community at large is, you are a wicked woman. You're a questionable wife. You're a questionable mom. And he's writing and he's saying to them, he's saying, basically, put the veil back on. Because in your culture, this is what is appropriate attire that gives honor to your husband and to yourself. And that's why he says several times in there, give honor to your head, the one who's leading. And remember earlier in the text, it says, as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the home. And so what we know is God is concerned about how we dress in public. What we know is that God says, make sure your attire it protects your reputation. It doesn't destroy it. He's talking, he's saying, make sure, ladies, that you're doing that which is modest and appropriate, that which is, is honoring to your husband. That doesn't, doesn't uh, as it says in that passage, dishonor him by basically saying, what kind of wife does he have? And so he's encouraging that. 
Okay, now we don't have the same, the same specifics in modern day, but we do have some specifics given that says, women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Here in what he's talking to this church in Ephesus, he says, okay, modest apparel is basically that which looks good. Basically, that which is suitable for the occasion. That's their modest. That's the word that's used at that time, that it's well arranged. Shamefacedness is that which is dignified. That which isn't drawing attention to your body features in a shameful way. Then he, the word for sobriety is that which you give thought to that says, and, and see, I'm out of my element here, okay? In the sense that certain types of of attire fits certain type of body frames, right? Okay, people my size and bigger shouldn't probably be wearing stripes going this way. All it does is make them look bigger. Yes, stronger. Okay, he's talking about ladies, okay, you wear that which you've given thought to, which he's, he's again, bringing us back to this idea is how are you adorning yourself? Are you making yourself appealing to your spouse in a way that you talk to him and the way you talk about him? Are you making yourself appealing to your spouse by the way that you give honor to him? Do you dress in such a way that is pleasing to him, that he likes, that he finds attractive? Are you in, the, in that sense even, and this is... You know, in modern day, it's a little bit challenging, but it's one thing. You, we all have frumpy outfits that we wear at home. Yes? Am I the only one? Okay. That my wife says, if you go to the store that way, I'm not going with you. Okay. None of you have those outfits? Okay, we have those outfits. Okay. And so frumpy is nice when we're doing a project, but ladies, think this through. If your husband is working in some business area, how are those ladies usually dressed? Do you dress in a way that isn't always frumpy? Do you dress up for him? It's appropriate to show off your beauty to him, to make, to make sure that there's still that, that you know, attraction that is there, that you're not killing it by your appearance. So we talked a little bit about the ladies. Let's Oh, time is running out. We won't be able to talk about the husbands. We have a few more minutes. Let's, let's pick on us guys, okay? What's our roles? Same passage, 1 Peter chapter 3. Same text. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, um, ooh, let me see where we're at. Uh, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers need, need not be hindered. So he's given us several things in that verse, where he said, likewise, you husbands, again, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Let me, let me draw three practical applications. Giving honor is to lift up your wife. The idea here is that idea that you are considering her as precious. You are treating her as a priceless gem, a priceless possession. I say that tongue-in-cheek. That she is something highly valuable as a gift from God to you. It's the same word of giving honor that he uses earlier in the book when he says that we consider Jesus precious. You're to consider your wife precious. 
something that is of great value. Now, it's not commanded. This is the one time that he doesn't use a command. He says, while giving honor unto her. It's not a command. It's an assumption. Assumptions at times are more, are more demanding than a command. God assumes you men, you husbands, you're giving honor unto your wife. He's not telling you to start doing it. He's assuming you're already doing it. That you are valuing her. That you're respecting her. That you understand she is something that is so important in your life. That God has designed her to be in your life to help make up your flaws. And to help complete you. So giving honor is that idea that God says, okay, this is something I assume your husbands are doing. And the question is, are we doing it the right way? But I want to ask you this question. Why does he say giving honor unto your wife as the weaker vessel? What's he mean by that? Is he saying that women are not, they have no capacity for anything physically hard? Is that what he's saying? Don't tell that to her while she's delivering Okay? What's he mean by the weaker vessel? Is it a statement of fact? Okay? Are ladies, generally statement of fact, are ladies' bone structures? Generally true, a little bit weaker than the men. The bone and muscular structure. Yes or no? We know that's true. In the modern day of transgenderism, I I just don't understand the culture that says, let's have men compete against ladies in sports. The ladies will never win anything again. You know, and as far as that's why female sports were started, to give ladies an opportunity to be able to compete against peers. So there is a degree of physical design difference. It is so clear that when we die and we turn back to dust, they can tell whether we're male or female basically by our bone structure. It's an innate development within us that God has designed that there is some physical differences in that regard. Or is it a statement of just saying, okay, you treat her as if she were something that is much weaker, so you're, you're being very, very careful with her. Or is he talking about this, you value her in such a way. Uh, let me see if I can illustrate this way, okay? Um, a few weeks ago, we were visiting one of our, our daughters down in Florida. And um, they had moved down there in August. They're still working on getting their house and getting furniture for different rooms to fit their new house. And so we were in a mall. And while we were in the mall, they said, hey, while we're here, let's step into this furniture store that we saw that they're running a special. And so they said, do you mind if we step in? And Deb and I, they said, do you mind watching the grandkids, the three girls? And their age is 10 down to 5. And I said, go ahead, we'll watch the grandbabies. Go ahead. You. So they went to the far end of the store where the counter was. And we were just going through the front section just, you know, with the grandkids. And they were picking up everything that wasn't nailed down. They were sitting on every chair that didn't have a strap across it to keep them. So they were checking it out. And I just got curious. How much is this lamp? $1,129? And then I walked over to the coffee table. And it's like a coffee table I got at Ikea. Well, someplace. And I'm looking at this coffee table, and I'm going, $900 for this coffee table. And then I'm walking this way, and I saw a single chair like this, $775. And I looked at a couch. 
$9,500. That couch better give massages. It better give everything that we want in life. Again, maybe you buy that stuff on that level. I'm not at that level of buying furniture. That's just not me. So I went into grandpa mode. Don't touch. Don't touch. Don't do this. Put that back. You break it, you buy it. Put it back. So I'm nagging the kids. This is not what I had in mind. But the reason was those items were very pricey. He's saying, guys, treat your wife as if, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, bring it to a positive, treat her as if she's that valuable. She's got a high price tag on her. And you don't take advantage of that. You value her as something that is really, really valuable in your life. That's the idea of what he's talking about, lifting her up. That means you protect her. That means you're not, you're not, you know, you're not letting her, the emotional struggles go by and just discount it. That means, guys, that you're not treating her as one of the guys. You're, you're being polite. You know, I had somebody just tell me last week, they said, you know, you preached that message. And it was so sweet. My husband opened the door for me when we walked to the car. That was so nice. And I said, well, why? I asked the wife, I said, well, what, what, what did that mean? It just mean that he, he was thinking of me. Do those little things make a difference? Now you're all going to go out and, you know, challenge. Should I open it or not? Okay. You know, but from her perspective, that little, little gesture of gentlemanliness relayed to her, he was being very thoughtful of her. And valuing her with something so small. We, we can go through this. We can talk about that idea of knowing her limits, not pushing her beyond the limits. I did this. I, I, I blew this big time. When we were, at, we were in the house that we lived across town for 30 years, it was a horsehair plastered house built in 1917. And so we were just room by room tearing out the horsehair plaster and we were putting in one of the weekend projects that turned into a six-month project. None of you have ever been there, but... Okay. And I remember um, we were trying to get the drywall under the ceiling so that I could get it screwed up there. And Deb was the only one to hold the drywall and the babysitter. So I got and I set up a table and I you know, got it firm with a couple chairs propping up that table. And I assured her it's safe. You and the babysitter can hold up the drywall... I'll help you get it up there, and then you hold it in place. Don't move it. (laughs) Don't move it. If Deb were sitting here, she'd say, and tell him I was seven months pregnant at the time. She has not forgotten that. Okay? And she's right. I was not considering her as a weaker vessel at all. You know, that's the, the mindset that says, hey, wait a minute. Really stop and think this through better. You know, elevating her, complimenting her, bragging on her, considering her, treating her as a treasure, the treasure she is from God. So if we did the test right now, we would just start going row by row and saying, is that the way he treats you? Is that the way he treats you? Is that the way he treats you? And nobody would want to say anything. But God is asking, are you following my word? Guys, let's do this one, okay? To live with, not only to... The idea of lifting her up. But he says, dwell with her according to knowledge. Okay? That idea of dwelling with her is the idea of keep on staying with her. Keep on staying with her. 
in harmony. The word for dwell means to get along. Isn't it interesting that God puts the burden on keeping things harmonious in the home, not on the wife, but on the husband? That God says, hey guys, you don't, you don't desert her. You don't get angry, spin the tires as you go out the driveway in your rant and your rage. And you understand from the culture that they were living in, back in those days, a lot of the guys had mistresses on the side. They had their wife who was of their social status, and maybe they had kids with her, but they didn't always live with her. They had their mistresses on the sides in these Roman and Greek societies. And he's saying, stop that. The one you're supposed to be loyal to, the one that you're supposed to be focused on, is this one that you're married to. And this is the one that you align yourself close to physically, emotionally, socially. She's the gal. She's the one that you're lifting up and you're presenting to others, this is my treasure. And making sure that others understand this, that we are not, we are not, you know, in this relationship that is... um, that is competitive, but we are complementing one another. We are helping each other to grow. And so he's making that idea. And let me make an additional application of this that is going to tick you off. Okay. In our society in America, which gender is more likely to go to the doctors? Male or female? Huh. Isn't that true? Which one of us... We kind of put off the doctors. We put off the dentists. Which one of us puts off the conversations about wills and planning for the future? If you're going to do what the Bible says about dwelling together, having things where, where there is a long-term dwelling, let me suggest, man, you reconsider how you take care of your own medical needs. That that means you have a responsibility to make sure you stay in good health so you can live longer with your wife. That you don't shorten that by ignoring the needs that you have physically to address illnesses or whatever. What you want, your wife doesn't need to be the nurse, the mom doing all that for you. You need to be taking the incentive. You are to be the leader in these areas of giving the example of providing, taking care of, even in your own health. But then he's supposed to learn his wife. We got the love, we got the lead, we've got the lifting up, and now we got the learning. Dwell with them according to knowledge. It's the idea here, it's your duty to get to know your wife. It's your duty to know what are her struggles, what are her fears. What are the things that she greatly appreciates? What's the little things you do that she says, that for me is thumbs up? Do you know that? Have you observed? In order for you to know that, you've got to have some type of communication. You've got to have conversation. You can't be doing what this couple did. So you'd like to have more stimulating conversations? Yes. Okay, so how's the garbage disposal working? Fine, good. We're done. That, that, that's not what we're talking about, communication. We're not talking about the woman thinking our marriage is in trouble. We need to talk about it. The guys think our marriage is in trouble. I'm keeping my mouth shut. 
Okay, we're, we, we are different in communication. This passage is saying we need to break out of our barriers, our self-imposed barriers, and learn to talk, learn to be observant about her needs, her desires, her, her, her um, weaknesses, strengths. You need to let her talk without interruption. You need to focus in on what is she saying instead of how am I going to defend myself. Listening to her, observing and studying, but that's not all. Okay, he says this idea that you're supposed to be working at it constantly. As somebody, somebody put an article. I want to end with this. There's an article that's major no-nos for husbands, and they have several practical suggestions that go right along with it. So let me bore you for just another minute here. When your wife is sharing a problem, don't tell her how to solve it before she's finished. Don't cut her off. Let her share before you give her a solution that. She maybe doesn't want your solution. She just wants to share. Okay? Don't tell your wife how she feels. The idea is he goes on, he says, one of the worst things you can do is say, calm down. Your feelings are all hormonal. Don't say those words. Okay? The idea of if your wife is describing a hurt that you are responsible for, you be man enough to own it, to apologize without excusing it. And, and, and an apology is not this way. Oh, I really feel bad that you're upset. That's not an apology. That's just flipping the blame back on her. Don't do that. This is the idea. Don't treat your wife as your mother, but as your partner. Don't assume your wife has the same views of sexual intimacy. Okay? We're different in this area. We all know that. But we're different. The, the hugs, the kisses, the pats... The little sensitive things, they're huge, much, much more important in romance for the wife, typically. Here's one. Don't come home from work and think your job is done for the day. It's not, especially not in this world when most of you are two parent, two, both parents are working. Here's one. Don't ignore your responsibility to be the spiritual head of the family. You know, you loving the Lord, that's a great way. Don't stop romancing her. In other words, go out on dates. Go out on dates regularly. Do things to show that you're still interested in her, that you want to be with her. Practical suggestions coming from this, but they all come back to this one thought. If you don't do these things, men, he says in verse 7, that your prayers be not hindered. This isn't just an idea of, okay, marital counseling in a public setting, so you might get things done a little bit. This is your spiritual welfare, You've got to do this because the way you treat your wife impacts your relationship, your fellowship with God Almighty. If you are not treating your wife in an appropriate fashion, you have a conflict with God. And again, as we started the service, the way to get rid of the conflict is by repentance. And thank God that Christ forgives us for our sins, gives us salvation, and then even after that, when we still fall flat on our face, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And I'm so glad that God is patient and so merciful. And with that, I have to add this. I am so glad that my my wife is patient and she is merciful. And that she has shown that grace of God to me time and time again. Why? I needed it. I would guess that I'm not the only man in this room that needed. So work at it, guys. Work at it. Father, I pray, help us in this areas to just grow. To not just learn, but to live out your word. 
Thank you for the practicality of the text and how you put it where it really is life, life living for us. How we deal with day by day and help each and every one of us to walk away with an idea of something we're going to work at this week. To put a, put a spark into our marriage to help it to even be better than it is. Thank you for the baptism. Thank you for these folk being here this evening. Thank you for the ministries that are going on. If you tarry, give us a great week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here.